There have been different surveys that have been out there about what people fear with the percentage of Americans who fear different things. This was one uh, survey that was taken a Gallup poll some time ago. And so let me just ask this and uh, we'll bring these up and you can raise your hand if, if this is one of, you, one of your fears as well. Okay, so what do Americans say they fear? And you can try and guess what some of these are. First of all, are you afraid of flying on an airplane? Anyone admit that? So 18% of people, okay, we've got a few here. Others of you doing okay. Uh, second one, mice. We have that people, okay, get a few more. It's 20% afraid of mice. So little cute little guys, but we got that. Oh, it's doing two at once. Okay, needles and getting shots. Okay, okay, so people are admitting that. Don't want that, don't need that. Then we have spiders and insects. Okay, seeing more hands go up. Not crazy about the spiders and the insects. Uh, have a few more according to the survey. Uh, being closed in a small space and claustrophobia people. Okay, we have some of that. Some of you are hanging in there being brave. I see this. Every, people got different things. Uh, people that are afraid of heights. 36% of people admit to being afraid of, of heights. Uh, you realize it's not the heights that get you, it's the, the quick plummet to, to non-heights <laughs> that gets you. <laughs> now here's one. This is uh, a lot of these things or that you, you're afraid it could hurt you. This one, public speaking, 40%. Okay, okay. so if you raise your hand, if I'd like you to come up here and... Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, this one doesn't mention it, but in many surveys, people rank fear of public speaking uh, ab- above death as far as what they're afraid of. That people would rather die than speak in, in public. That's an amazing thing. Uh, but this survey at least lists one more thing. Uh, this one lists snakes. So we got that. So I guess statistically, if we put this all together, statistically the worst thing that could happen is that you have to give a speech on top of a skyscraper covered with snakes. <laughs> like the most horrifying thing you could imagine. You know, even you look at this list, and it's a list of things people often say, but, but really, I think this list doesn't even touch some of, the, some of the deepest fears that we have. Maybe public speaking a little bit, because I think one of the big fears, uh, it, it's not speaking in public, it's what are they going to think of me? You know, are they going to think that I'm foolish? Is this going to go bad? Are they going to judge me for this? And I think that gets at that, that fear of man, which is a huge one. You know, but there's so many other deeper fears that cause us anxiety. Uh, fears of, of the future. You know, uncertainty. What comes next? You know, is, what, what comes with death? People are afraid of, of meeting their maker. There's a lot of different things. Is this things just spinning out of control? And are we going to be able to handle it? And sometimes we don't even put our finger on what these, these fears are, but there's this underlying anxiety that is just gnawing at us and just can make it hard to function, make it hard to sleep. You know, what, do you know actually what is God's most frequent command in Scripture? I read this, that his most frequent command actually is don't be afraid. Fear not, do not be afraid. If you're just counting it up. The title of this message, I title it as Have No Fear, but really that's only kind of a half-truth. That's, that's part of it. Because in this passage, it is going to say certain fears that we are not supposed to have. God wants to call us to not have. 
But it is also telling us there are other things that we should be afraid of, that we should be watching out for. And maybe a better title, well, a more accurate but longer title would be something like have the right kind of fear and not the wrong kind of fear. It's kind of the main point we're going to be getting at. Or have the healthy kind of fear that will keep you from having the unhealthy kind of fear. Because there are some things that definitely should cause us concern. Having no fear uh, would be a bad thing. Uh, just having no fear, you are going to get yourself in trouble. There's going to be th- there's certain fears that we need to have. There's certain fears we try to instill in our children uh, to keep them safe. And so this passage is really about having the right kind of fear, not the wrong kind of fear, because the goal of the Bible is not to have this kind of therapeutic calm. So if your expectation for this message is, how can I be rid of all fears so I can just have peace and calm and tranquility, and that's the ultimate reason I come to church and listen to the Bible is for my own, my own, my own personal therapy, that's not really what the Scripture is doing here. There, there is going to be comfort that the Lord is going to give, yes, but that's not the main goal of the Bible. The goal of Jesus' words here are deeper and more important than that. It's for you to live the life that you were created for, that your maker designed and put you on this earth for, and that's for you to, to love and glorify God through Jesus Christ, even in spite of the fears, and even in the midst of a very hostile world. So let's get into this, and we'll read bits at a time. And so in uh, Luke chapter 12, we'll read the first three verses, and we'll summarize that by saying, Fear hypocrisy, not the truth being made known. So we shouldn't fear the truth, we should fear hypocrisy. Let me read. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. It's talking about this uh, the leaven of the Pharisees. You know, leaven is yeast, and it would, it would work through the dough. It would, it would infect it. And the Pharisees, if you were here last week, we, we saw them, and we saw their legalism, and uh, just their, the attitude they had. And legalism is part of uh, something that the Pharisees had, and also hypocrisy. And we're going to think about there's a connection between those two things as well. So what is Hypocrisy. Sometimes we say uh, hypocrisy is when you say one thing and you you do something else. You tell somebody to do something and then you do uh, the opposite of that. That's true, but not exactly true, actually. I think that's part that's related to hypocrisy. I think that's something that is a result of hypocrisy. But the the word itself, uh, our word hypocrite, um, comes from the Greek hypocrites, which is a compound word. Uh, meaning um, over and um, face. Now, if you think about it, as many of you, technically, we're, we're hypocrites. 
uh, and some of your kids were hypocrites uh, this past Wednesday, okay? Because they're going around uh, trick-or-treating, they're doing that, and some of them, we're going to see, were, were hypocrites. Uh, in a sense, yesterday, uh, my youngest son kept asking me, you know, hey, Dad, can we do a lightsaber fight? I'm like, okay, yeah, we'll do this, and he had asked me the day before, and it never happened, and can we do this, and okay, a little bit, and then I realized I got to make some emails, and so he went out to play with a friend, and I was able to finish those up, and I thought, well, uh, we'll take this to the next level, because he had given me the, the red lightsaber, so I went down and got my Darth Vader helmet, and went and showed up at the, neighbor, you know, the neighbor's lawn, and you know, had a big lightsaber fight with two of my kids and the neighbor's kid in the, right in the front lawn there, the neighbor's house. And hypocrite literally means mask wearer, okay? Um, or think of an actor. In the ancient world, uh, when people acted, they literally wore masks. Maybe you've seen, you know, for, for theater, sometimes they have the little frowny mask and the little uh, smiley mask and sun stick. And they would have those and would put them in front of their face. And so it was a hypocrite. It was a, it was a false face. They were an actor. And so what Jesus is saying here is beware of doing this, this, uh, this, this having a false face, being an actor, pretending to be something that, that you are not, putting on this, uh, being a mask wearer. You know, think of the masks that oftentimes we wear, the masks that the Pharisees would have people wear. Sometimes it's, uh, their favorite mask was obviously the, the perfect person mask. You know, I keep the law. I'm a good, perfect person. And Jesus is saying to the crowds here, he's saying, be careful. This is infectious. Other people start to wear these masks, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to influence you to want to pretend also that, oh, look at all these perfect people. I better pretend to be a perfect person myself. And we notice here also, it says the first verse, and I think this is important, it says, when many thousands of people are gathered together, so maybe they're trampling one another. So there's big crowds. They're showing up for Jesus, and maybe many are for him, some are against him, uh, different pockets of, of people at different times. Remember, big numbers tend to mean a big danger of hypocrisy because a lot of people, they will want to follow the fads. And they will go with whatever is easiest. If, if They'll go with the flow. And if there are times where, hey, everyone is turning to Christ and that's what they see everyone doing, it seems to be the popular thing, the cool thing, you'll have a lot of people that are pretending to follow Jesus, that are pretending to care about him and his ways, but is it for real? I mean, you saw that in the early church. Emperor Constantine converts to Christianity. All of a sudden, oh, the emperor is a Christian. This becomes the favorable thing to do. It lessened persecution, which is a good thing. It made it easy to be a Christian. On the downside, it made it easy to be a Christian. And it kind of became the thing to do. And so how many of these people that are converting from paganism to Christianity were the real deal? Or were they just wearing a mask because now, now this is the thing that will get me ahead? This is the thing that's now popular with the crowds and with the, the emperor and the things that are, uh, uh, that are going to help me with peer pressure and the show and personal gain. But on the flip side then, when it becomes unpopular to be a Christian, then they'll be pressured into something else. They'll be pressured into conforming to the world and the expectations of the world. 
And the Pharisees, they would apply their pressure to people to conform to their standards. Remember, they were legalists. They had their 6,000-some rules. Like, you be a good person. You obey our rules. And so people would at least try to do that, or at least wear the mask to pretend they're doing that, to make their lives easier. Legalists will always want you to conform to their legalism, their man-made rules, and they will push you to do that. So whether it's a mask pretending to be a Christian, or whether it's a mask pretending to be a, a perfect person, really the core problem really is the same. The core problem is, is fear, fear of people, fear of what other people think of you. And this is at the root of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is, is caused by the fear of what other people think of you. And hypocrisy and legalism, if you think about it, they really go hand in hand. Because the people that, uh, it, it stems from this desire for acceptance Okay, and desire for acceptance produces fear of man because we're afraid of not being accepted by other people. You know, and this is true for kids at school. This is true for us as adults. We all deal with this. And therefore, we, if that's our fear of pleasing the people around us, we're going to say, what are the rules that they say we need to do in order to be a good person? And sometimes it's within the church. You better dress a certain way. You better act a certain way. And if you're afraid of the people, you'll start going along with it just, just to go along with it. You might not even be a real Christian. You might just be a name-only Christian. And in the world, the same thing can happen too. If you're in a, a different circle at work or society moves a different way and tries to shame you for, for believing in Christ and following his ways, it's easy to now, uh, well, I better obey by their rules and do this. So they have legalism. And we realize we're not doing it as well as we should, so we try to fake it. And so now we're hypocrites on top of that. We're wearing masks. So all these things are connected. This fear of acceptance, to the fear of man, to legalism, to hypocrisy. But part of what Jesus teaches here is this won't last. The truth will come out. Truth is not made to be hidden. It's made to be proclaimed and Things that, that we would want to keep as our, our deepest, darkest secrets will be proclaimed from the housetops. Okay, your deepest things will, so to speak, be put on Facebook for everyone to see. And all of this. And this is a scary thing for those that are unforgiven. It's terrifying. It said that at one time, as a joke, a man uh, sent letters to 12 people saying, just an anonymous note saying, flee now, all has been found out. And there's really nothing behind it. He just sent this. And by the end of the week, those 12 people had all left town. We're afraid of things coming out, coming to the surface. Surface Christians, be warned. What is hidden will come out. Hypocrisy does not work in the long run. We saw last week, you can, you can clean the outside of your coffee mug. Okay, you can get that uh, just sparkly and, and spotless and, and show that to everyone, but eventually people are going to see what's on the inside. And the inside and the filth that God already knows will be on display. You can't wear the mask forever. So be honest. Be honest with God, especially about your real spiritual condition. And for us, that we're sinners. 
we fall short of God's perfection. There's an application, too, if we think about this. You know, because we don't want to be hypocrites, we recognize that if, if hypocrisy... If hypocrisy was just saying one thing and doing something else, it'd be, it'd be tough because we recognize that we do fall short. And we recognize God has the standard, but we don't measure up to it. But we have to keep saying there are certain things that, that are wrong, but we recognize, that's the great thing about Christianity, is we can recognize and admit that we do fall short and that we do fail on this. But we're, we're trying, but even more, we have Jesus Christ to forgive us our sins. Our acceptance doesn't come from being this perfect person. It comes from being clothed in the righteousness of Christ that's given to us as a gift by the one who died on the cross for us. And therefore, just as an example, let's say, you know, the way that we raise our kids, parents, you know, when we realize that there's something that we don't measure up, a way that we can teach that to our kids, let's say it's something we're struggling with, let's say you struggle with anger, you know, responding uh, in the right way. And you catch yourself kind of lashing out at some time. You know, that's an opportunity, you know, to talk to your kids and, and say, you know what? Dad blew it. I responded in the wrong way. And yeah, maybe things were frustrating, but I shouldn't have responded that way. And I'm going to ask Jesus for help. I'm going to ask him for forgiveness. And with your kids, if, you, if it's appropriate, you ask them for forgiveness too. So we have teaching that standard and teaching that we do fall short without being this, this mask wearer or teaching our kids just to wear masks, pretending we're perfect all the time, and thinking that's the good example. So we fear hypocrisy. We also need to fear God and not man. Let me read verse, starting with verse 4. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and afterwards have nothing more they can do but I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And now one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. This passage it has some bad news, and it has some good news. And the bad news here is that people can kill you. Okay, God is not, Jesus here is not promising that if you follow him, you will never be in trouble, that there will never be persecution, that he will always rescue you in this life. And he warned here in other places that sometimes there are very bad things. People can do terrible things to you. And we know that. Um, he didn't hide this from his disciples. The, the apostles would be persecuted. In fact, uh, church history records that of the original uh, the apostles, all of them uh, were martyred, except for John who was, was tortured. Uh, so, and in the early church, there was all kinds of persecution, terrible things put in the arena and just all kinds of sick punishments that the, the Romans and others would do to, to Christians. So there's bad news, but Jesus says that there's, there's good news here. And he says, hey, the, the good news is, hey, that's, that's the worst they can do to you. The worst they can do to you is kill you, and then they can't touch you. 
And he's going to go on and say, but God can actually do more than that. They can kill you, but only if God allows it. And after that, <laughs> you, get, you get joy with the Lord, your Savior, your first love, forever and ever and ever. They may inflict a moment of pain on you and a, a moment of loss, but then it, it's heaven with, with God, with your Savior, forever. And they can't take that away. They can't touch you. They can't harm you anymore. And eventually Jesus comes back and makes things right and there's judgment and he, 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 he undoes your death and puts you back together. And you get to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ forever and ever and ever in a just world with, with Jesus Christ here in our midst. So the worst it can do to us, it, it may be bad in our way of speaking, but if we believe what this word is telling us, they can't touch us ultimately. On the flip side, for unbelievers, those that reject God, they should be afraid of the destiny that they are marching towards. So it says, instead, fear God, because it says not only can he kill, he's, he's the one that has the actual authority over our death. He has appointed the hour when we're going to die, and you're not going to die a day sooner or a day later than that. It's in his plan. But after that, there's eternity. And this is a punishment that, that doesn't end quickly. This is a punishment that doesn't end. He casts into hell forever. If you're going to fear, be afraid of that, turn from that, run from that. Yet sadly, most people do not. There was a survey taken a while back, and it said of Americans, 94% believe in God, 89% believe in heaven, think, wow, that's pretty encouraging. We wouldn't have thought maybe it's that many. 73%, at least at the time, according to this, believe in hell. 2% expect to end up in hell. So most people, at least according to this, they, they think this is real, but they think they're pretty good. They think that's not something they need to worry about. That's for the, that's for the bad people. And, of course, bad is, well, anything way worse than wherever I am because they measure according to their own standards. So here we see there are two types of fear. When we talk about fearing God, there's a, there's a healthy kind of fear. There's an unhealthy kind of fear. Okay, so he talks about, hey, fear God. There's a healthy type that, that people should have that, unfortunately, so many people, they, they do not have this type of fear. The unhealthy type of fear keeps people away from God. They run from him. They're scared of him. The Puritan John Bunyan wrote this. He said, Many also this day are possessed with this ungodly fear. And you may know them by this. They cannot abide conviction for sin. And if at any time the word of the law by the preaching of the word comes near them, they will not abide that preacher nor such kinds of sermons anymore. They are, as they deem, best at ease when furthest off from God and the power of his word. The word preached brings God nearer to them than they desire he should come. And whenever God comes near, their sins are manifest by him, and so in the judgment that is due to them. Because of their guilt, they run away from the one, the only one, that could actually take away their guilt. That's the tragedy. 
You know, as believers, we should fear God too, but in a different way. Not in this unhealthy way, but in, a, in the way that the Bible refers to as the fear of the Lord, as a good thing. This healthy respect for him that we have. Because, as we've said before, God is, is more like a table saw than he is like a cotton ball. Okay, a cotton ball is not going to harm you if you are in a wrong relationship to it. A table saw is a good thing. Table saws are good. But if you are in a wrong relationship to a table saw, it's bad for you. It can do a lot of bad to you. God is good, but if you're in the wrong relationship to him, that's what Jesus is saying here. Be, be afraid of that. You don't want to be in the wrong relationship with that kind of a God. The God that we worship is not a tame, safe, boring God. He is a powerful, awesome God. That as a Christian, you can know he's on your side. And that gives you courage. And therefore, the fear of the Lord is this good fear that drives out all other fears. This, the healthy kind, is a fear that comforts us. And that's what Jesus gets to next. He starts talking about these uh, the sparrows. And he says here, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Now, if you remember this from Matthew, it it says something similar. It says, are not uh, two sparrows sold for a penny? There are actually people who say all contradiction here in the scriptures. Is it five for two pennies or is it two for one penny? Okay, that's, that's not a contradiction. That's a sale. Okay? That's buying in bulk. Okay? You get the extra sparrow thrown in if you, if you buy two pennies worth. It's like going to Sam's Club. That's how it is. Uh, but it also means sparrows, they're not worth much. Hey, we can throw in an extra sparrow. You know, hey, big deal. Uh, and that's the thing. The sparrows are cheap. Uh, in the marketplace of that day, they were the least expensive thing. People bought them. And all you bird lovers and sparrow lovers, okay, this will, you might not like this, but uh, they would buy them to eat them, okay? They were like the, uh, they were kind of the finger food of the ancient world, okay? Kind of the, the Burger King dollar menu of the ancient world. Get some, get some sparrows to eat. The, the poor people would do that. So sparrows, they were cheap. They were not impressive, you know, if you're going to pick an impressive bird, there's, there's lots to choose from. I mean, there's the big birds like the eagles. There's a peregrine falcon, you know, incredibly fast. But even other, like a little hummingbird. I mean, they're just cool looking and they can hover and, and do that. Uh, you know, owls are amazing. You know, they just, they look cool. They can see in the dark. They got those, you know, saucer faces and they're always looking at you. Uh, so owls, they're real sweet. A woodpecker, you know, it's got a built-in, you know, hydraulic hammer. Even a duck. Okay, even a duck would be cooler than a sparrow. I mean, a duck, it, it's like an all-terrain vehicle. That's pretty awesome. But a sparrow is just, eh, it's just, it's just they're just generic birds. You say there's some birds. I was like, what are they? It's just sparrows. They're just generic. A, a while back, I was doing a youth group lesson, and I was going off on this, talking about sparrows, and they're boring, and they're just common. And a girl got upset at me and said, I like sparrows. I'm like, hey, I got nothing against sparrows. They're just kind of dull. They're just kind of there. But, you know, that's the point. You know, if Jesus had said, you know, that, it, that the father's eye is on the bald eagle, we think, well, of course, they're cool. You know, we would, if you saw a bald eagle, we would all look. 
you know, if you saw one now, everyone would be looking out the window and you'd forget about me until it flies away. Okay? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but, you know, a, a, a sparrow, but that's what makes it great, is that God's eye is on something that insignificant. There's this little common sparrow. And you know what? There are lots of sparrows. There's all kinds of... Obviously, if he's saying his eye is on the sparrow, his eye is on all kinds of other birds, too. I think of how many are out there. I think uh, a past fall, I was in my office, and I heard, like, this noise outside. And I'm like, what is going on? And I went to the window, and I looked around, and I, I saw this. I saw on the ground, I saw a bunch of birds, and then I looked up, and I recorded a little bit of video. Let's see if I can get this to play. What in the world? Uh, yeah. It, it was like, a, I didn't know if I was in an Alfred Hitchcock movie or the Book of Revelation. <laughs> what is going on here? And, but you know what? I mean, that's a, that's a lot of birds. There were more than 25 birds there. There definitely were. But you ever see one of those nature documentaries, you know, where they show, you know, uh, just a massive flock of birds, like going over Siberia or something like that? And uh, some of these uh, flocks make that look like nothing. I mean, they're massive. And one time I was seeing one of those shows and just realizing, okay, right now we're seeing all these birds and they're flying around. But most of the time, you get all these giant you know, massive, massive, you know, hundreds of thousands of birds sometime, and maybe no human eye will ever see one of those birds. They'll fly around, they will live their life and uh, die, and we wouldn't have even known that they're there. But God knows. In fact, God has, has their lives plotted out, and he probably has them named. The, the birds in this, you know, he probably has, there, there, there's Blackie, uh, there, there's a bird guy, um, I don't know, Jeff, whatever he decides to name these birds. But he, but he knows them. That's just an amazing thing. And so, in Matthew, it says, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, apart from his will. So even if they, it's impossible for one of these birds, that there's so many that it doesn't matter, nobody's going to care about them. If not even this bird can, can drop dead apart from God's will, how much more you created in God's image, someone that, that God went to the cross for, to shed his blood to save. If he was willing to do that for these, to, to care for these birds, how much more, let it sink into you, how much God knows and cares for you. He says, even the hairs on your head are numbered. How many of you here know how many hairs are on your head? Okay, the bald people, it doesn't, yeah. <laughs> But most of you don't. For two reasons. It's hard to know, and who cares? Okay, it's, it's kind of insignificant. But just in case you're wondering, they say they estimate that, well, blondes have approximately 145,000 hairs. A dark-haired person has approximately 120,000 hairs. And a, a redhead has approximately uh, 90,000 hairs. Now, either way, it's, it's a lot of hairs. And God has, he's keeping track of them, even as they come and go. That's an amazing thing. What this passage is saying, what Jesus is trying to tell us through this, is that if God watches over the sparrows, 
And if God has the hairs of your head are all numbered, you can be sure that God knows you and cares about even the smallest details in your life. Don't think that you're not noticed. Don't think that he has forgotten about you. You're not lost in the shuffle. Nothing bad, if it does happen to you, will happen apart from the Father's will. Your Father, who loves you, apart from his good plan that he has to work all things for for Christian, for your ultimate good and for his glory. And this God is strong enough to fear, and he is wise enough and good enough for us to trust. And if there's something we should fear then, as believers, or just any of us, it's to, to fear denying Christ instead of acknowledging Jesus before the world. And there can be this fear of what are people going to say? How are they going to judge us? Sometimes it may be okay and, and popular and good, and other times it may have the pressure of the world keeping you from doing this. This passage finishes up. Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men The Son of Man, he's talking about himself, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus acknowledges there's, there's going to be fear coming. There's going to be pressure that is coming. And ultimately, there's only two options, to confess or, or deny. And I think the logic of this is that genuine believers will openly acknowledge Jesus Christ before others. That God will work that in our heart despite our fears to, to acknowledge before other people. That we won't be keeping that a secret. Uh, one pastor, Kent Hughes, says, true faith always moves from the heart to the lips. But on the other hand, to deny Christ before people shows that that's an evidence of not having a regenerate heart, of not being born again. Another Puritan, George Swinock, wrote this. He said, Some will not own Christ out of fear. As an owl peeps at the sun out of a barn, but does not dare come near it, so some peep at the sun of righteousness, but stand aloof, as if they were more afraid to be near God than the devil. But I want to clarify. One thing we can remember is that Peter, Peter denied Christ. He denied him three times. And maybe he regretted it. He repented of it. Therefore, when we think of this, uh, don't let the devil uh, mess with your conscience that, that um, there was one time where you did this. We all have a time you know, in the past where we were not Christians. There are times where Christians have, may have um, momentary weakness, uh, but like Peter, he regretted it and he repented. Therefore, Jesus, I think he's referring here to a, a pattern of life, not, not a momentary lapse. Judas would be an example of this kind of, of denial. Uh, blasphemy of the Spirit is an example of this. And this, this is a tough concept, and 
We'll have to give the, the short answer here, because what is blasphemy of the Spirit? People worry, have I committed this? And what is the difference? You, it says here you could speak against the Son, against Jesus, and be forgiven, but if you blaspheme, if you speak against the Holy Spirit, you won't be forgiven. Let me give you the uh, short answer, and I think in context we have to remember, this is right after Jesus had done some healings, and some of the Pharisees and others said, yeah, he did those healings, that was in the power of the devil. That was in the power of Beelzebub. That, that wasn't from God at all. And so it was just kind of a final writing off of God, or writing off of Jesus Christ as being the Son of God. And so I think Jesus is saying, hey, you can, you can doubt me, but you know what? It's, um, and you can be forgiven of that. That forgiveness, I think, is not automatic. You have to repent and come to him for that forgiveness. But the Holy Spirit is the one ultimately that testifies to us that with, he does it with, in Scripture with uh, these, these signs and these miracles. He does it to us today, speaking to our hearts, telling us that this is the Word of God, that Jesus Christ really is the way and the true and the life, and that you need to turn to him and to be saved. But if you say no to that, well, well what more is there? If the strongest thing that, that could convince you and you permanently and decisively completely reject that, there's not like something else there that is going to, to bring you to faith. It's a decisive rejection of the Spirit's witness about who Jesus is. So be afraid of having a hard heart that rejects the Spirit's testimony about Jesus. And I'll tell you this, the people who have actually committed this, they aren't afraid of having committed it. Their hearts are so hard, they don't even worry about this. If you're actually worried about this, this is a good sign that your heart has not been hardened to that level. So be of courage there, but turn to Christ. Believe who Scripture says he is and be forgiven. Philip Reichen says it like this. This is helpful. He says, The blood of Christ is sufficient for any sinner who truly repents, even a sinner who on occasion has denied the name of Christ. But if instead of believing the gospel, a sinner stubbornly persists in repudiating Jesus and even calling him a devil, well, how can he be forgiven? We look at the last verses. I think a message putting this together is that not only does the Holy Spirit testify to us to, to bring us to faith, to convince us who Jesus is so we believe, but the Holy Spirit will also help us, will help you to testify about, to others about Jesus, even in the most intimidating times, even in the toughest situations. As we sing, don't be anxious about this. God will give you words to say. Yeah, try to prepare yourself, try to do this, but ultimately, in the moment, God will give you the grace that you need to proclaim Christ. And we see examples of this in, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, uh, you Peter, they had been spreading the message of Christ. People were turning to him. And it says, in chapter 4, it says, On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, 
If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man whom they had healed, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And the same God, the same Holy Spirit that helped them will speak through you, will help you in those times when you can be a witness. Don't let fear of others keep you from opening your mouth, from sharing Christ. As Peter says in 1 Peter 3, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do so with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Man's power is great. There's things it can do against us, but it's limited. We fear the wrong things. We fear the wrong things because we value, too oftentimes, the wrong things, and we value them the most. If your physical comfort, your property, if your physical life is of utmost importance to you, you will fear those that can take that away. But if God is utmost important to you as a Christian, then you do not have to fear because nothing can ever take you away from him. Let's pray. Father God, we give you praise. We give you praise in, in, in humble fear, Lord God. Thank you that we can fear you not as a, a slave fears a master, but as, as sons fear their, their loving, wonderful Father. We thank you for your strength. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that even the trials and persecution or anything that comes into our way, Lord God, has to pass through your hand, Lord God. And you can and you will purpose it for your purposes. And you will supply the strength. You will supply the grace that we need. Help us to not fear people or to fear the wrong things. But let us have that fear pushed aside by the healthy fear of you. We thank you for who you are and your promises to us. Thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.